turn to Colossians chapter 4 as we make our way through uh, this uh, revealing end of this book. And we look at these great men, and we're going to actually next week see a woman as well that's listed in here. Uh, Before I do, notice on your course sheet and in your bulletin your uh, faith promise card, and there's still time to make that and get in on that. And as a reminder... Of course, we're still now giving on our 2012 commitment. That will finish the last Sunday of the year. And so if you need to catch up or you've fallen behind and you want to catch up, uh, let me encourage you to do that. Uh, Exciting things have taken place this past year that we'll report to you when we present this year's budget. But uh, just take the card, fill it out, and uh, hand it in and get in on the good things that are happening uh, with world missions through our church. We're excited about that. Did anybody watch college football yesterday? Yes. Okay, so who won that you were happy about? There he is. Did Notre Dame pull that thing out? All right. Well, we're going to talk about them here in a moment. K-State, just rolling along. I got a friend who's an Alabama fan, and he was just funny following his Facebook. He says, I think I'm really having a heart attack. Seriously. (laughs) And then, I don't know, and then at some point he said, I believe, and I, and I checked the score. I'm like, I don't know what he believes in, but anyway, it was, it was fun if you watched that. I want to talk about, though, uh, Michael's team there. Is he, is, you're, you're just, you're, you just had to, you wear that every time they win? Pretty much, or do you just wear? Oh, you have a whole bunch of them. Okay, Notre Dame football. Perhaps the three most respected words in collegiate athletics. Would you agree, Michael? Close to that? For not since okay. Okay, I don't know. You know far more than I do. For generations, the Fighting Irish have achieved unparalleled success in the sport. In fact, the camp, campus trophy room houses more championship rings and Heisman trophies than any other school in America. It's the Fort Knox of sports memorabilia. It's the story Hollywood has told over and over. How many of you like Rudy? Isn't that great? I mean, that's just, anytime I'm flipping through, I get in trouble because I have to to freeze there and finish it out wherever it's at. An amazing story, even if it's not all true. The school's legendary past creates a proud environment for today's success. Their roster reads like a who's who, and the pro teams fight each other for their graduates. At the beginning of each season, though, they do something that's really unique, and I think it's relevant to what we have been studying The Notre Dame coaches gather the team together for what they call the ceremony of the jersey. How many of you have heard of this? How many of you? Okay, yeah, I just recently heard of it too, and it's really cool. So listen to this. Here's what they do, and it's probably a large part of why they are successful as they are. At the beginning of each season, they do the ceremony of the jersey. It's the event when each new recruit is presented with his game jersey, the number he'll be wearing for the next four years. At any other school... This might not mean so much, but at Notre Dame, it's like a visit to the museum. As each player, now listen to this, as each player is brought forward to receive his uniform, a scroll is read to reveal all the legends who have worn that number before, their names, awards, honors, and degrees. The final name read for each number is the new recruits. The implication is this, and you can't miss it, wear it proudly. Carry on the tradition, build on our history. Now, when I saw that and read that, I thought, first of all, that's just awesome, cool, right? And, and, and wow, I mean, just can you imagine being that young kid and you've achieved your dream, but all of a sudden there's the bar that is set. Wow, wear it proudly. Now, listen, Colossians 4, 7 through 18, and if you're not there, you need to turn there. Colossians 4, 7 through 18 is the ceremony of the jersey for the Lord Jesus Christ and His ministry. That's really what we've been doing. We we follow in a long line of faithful servants. We've only heard about them. Someday, we're going to meet them. Faithful men and women who have left their mark. They carried their calling like a birthright. Their signature was their message. Their godly life has been their visual aid. We may not always remember their words or even know what all they did, like we learned last week about Luke, but we're never going to forget their passion. They made their mark, and it's our job now to follow in their footsteps. You see, 
This series is like the ceremony of, of the jersey at Notre Dame. Each Sunday, we're reviewing the life and ministry of those who wore the jersey, not of Notre Dame, important as that may be, but worn the jersey of the Lord Jesus Christ and are fighting not for a collegiate trophy that is not lasting and temporary and honor that, that comes and goes, but fighting for the kingdom of God and for the souls of men and women. And so as each Sunday as we come here, we're hearing these names called out. We're hearing their achievements. We hear the name Archippus, and we hear the echo, fulfill your ministry. We hear Tychicus, and we hear him say, become trustworthy. We hear Onesimus, and he warns us, be reconciled with your past. Get rid of the baggage. All it's going to do is weigh you down. We hear Aristarchus say, surrender your rights so that you will not have regrets. We hear John Mark say, you may fail, but make sure you fail forward. We hear Jesus, who was called Justice, say, look, live for the fame of his name. And then we hear Epaphras say, be missional and advance God's kingdom on your knees. And we hear the name of Luke last week, and he says, invest everything for eternity. Use all that you are, the unique shape that you have, and invest it to exalt the name of Christ for the joy of all people. And as you've been through this series, then each Sunday, at the end, your name is called. My name is called. And we are challenged to suit up, get in the game, play our position for the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to leave all that we are and all that we have on the field of our ministry until the day we take our last breath. But today, today is going to be different. Today is different because today the name that we're going to read out loud is the name of Demas. And it's not a name of honor. It's a name of dishonor. It's a man who made his mark. He made his mark. We're going to talk about him today, but he made his mark in the wrong way. And so if you Google the name Demas, and you can do that, you'll get all sorts of sermon titles. And here's some of the sermon titles you'll get. Demas the deserter. Demas the quitter. Demas the defector. Has anybody seen Demas? I like that one. Has anybody seen Demas? The man who could not control himself. And the most popular one, Demas has forsaken me. The very words the Apostle Paul uses here in Colossians. It it just, it echoes so much so that these, these, these men just use it as the title. Demas has forsaken me. And then one that cuts to the quick, a costly love affair. Today we're going to look at Demas, and we're going to learn how not to follow in his footsteps. I kind of struggled all week with how to do this, because you know we've been trying to follow the positive things, and, and now we're not following him. And, and how, you know, Gwen said, well, you ought to say forsaking his footsteps. Well, yeah, that begins with F. I like that. But, you know, it, it's just, so there's, there's this reverse thing going on here, okay? And so if I got my negatives wrong, you know, it's like don't follow him, so do that. I don't know. Anyway, just... We don't want to be like Demas. Okay? Got it? We don't want to be like Demas. Listen, we're going to look at him, and we're going to learn how not to follow his footsteps. And once again, we're going to look at the man and then look at how he made his mark. So let's look at it. A man who made his mark the wrong way. Now, Demas' name means popular. Again, God is sovereign. I mean, if you're a liberal and you don't believe the Bible was written by God, you say the authors of Scripture made up these names to match the story they wanted to tell. Well, I don't believe that. I believe God inspired His Word and His His sovereignty. I'm telling you, names are connected with character, and names that parents give early on in their lives just seem to play out. This guy's name means popular. And unfortunately, he has become popular for the wrong thing, and we're going to see the reason he's popular for the wrong thing, is because he ran after and he fell in love what was popular in this world rather than what was popular in the kingdom of God. Demas is mentioned only three times in the Bible, always by the Apostle Paul and always while Paul is in prison. Now, does that sound familiar? You may not remember, but last week we said the same thing about Luke. And there's more to that. Let's look at the three passages. The first one you're already turned to. It's in Colossians. 
And it's in verse 14, where again, Luke is mentioned. But let's, let's go back to verse 10 and read a little bit of the context. Colossians 4, 10 through 14. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you've received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. So the first three guys on his team are Jewish Christians, and they are greeted, and they send their greetings to the people of Colossians. Now he's going to mention three Gentile Christians. He begins with the one they know best. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all of the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Luke, as does Demas. These guys are, are equals at this time as they're helping Paul while he is in prison. Now, flip over to Philemon. Flip over to Philemon 23 and 24. Now, you'll remember that these two letters are written at the same time. Paul's in prison. He writes to the whole church at Colossae. And then he writes specifically to a man by the name of Philemon that we, we think more than likely was the pastor or one of the pastors of that church. And so, since they're written at the same time and he sends greetings, the same names are mentioned. In fact, they're all mentioned except for Jesus who was called Justice. For some reason, he is not mentioned. Maybe he was gone by that time. I don't know. Philemon 23 through 24. Maybe he didn't like Philemon. I don't know. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. My fellow workers. Now, here's the first two times. Let's look at the third time. The third time is 2 Timothy chapter 4. So turn your Bibles. 2 Timothy chapter 4, and we're going to look at verses 9 through 13. 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul is once again in prison. This time, it's, 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 it's in Rome again, but this time, it's not under house arrest. He's in an infamous pr- uh, prison that is basically a, a dungeon that is a, a, a hole in the ground, that he is let down, and basically, you're not brought back up until it's time to die to be executed. Okay, so bad to be in prison the first time, really bad to be in prison the second time. This is the last chapter of the last letter of the last words of the Apostle Paul, and here's what he says. 2 Timothy 4, verse 9. Do your best, and he's writing to Timothy, do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me, or forsaken me, and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. So, it's interesting. At the end of these letters, he's greeting the same, the same names are showing up. But what happened? What happened to Demas? Now, here's the three mentions of him. Now, look at the next point in your notes. Demas is a powerful contrast to Luke, with whom he's always compared to in the Bible. So, look in that chart. It says, on the, on the left-hand side, it says, significant comparisons between Luke and Demas. And here are the comparisons, and it's amazing. Both are only mentioned three times in the Bible. Both are mentioned together all three times. Both are called fellow workers of Paul in Philemon 24. These are my fellow workers. And both were with Paul during his two imprisonments, at least at the beginning of the second one. So they're both there. But the contrast, the contrast is what God's Holy Spirit wants us to see. The sharp contrast between Luke and Demas. And here's what you want to write down. While Luke remained with Paul to the end, Demas deserted Paul in the end. While Luke remained with Paul to the end, 
Demas deserted Paul in the end. Now, that's just amazing stuff. Here's these two men. They're always mentioned together. They have the same experiences. They have the same opportunities. They have the same exposure. But something, I mean, and you've got to put last week's and this week's lesson together. Because last week it was, the lesson from Luke was what? Invest everything in eternity. Live for what's yet to come. Give it all. Leave it all out on the field. You've got to put this together because these two men are always together. You see, Demas didn't do that. Demas opted not to apply last week's lesson. Demas did the opposite. And so the message this week is this. Don't follow. Don't follow in the footsteps of Demas. And here's why. Don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. That's what Demas did. He wasted his life. Luke, he invested everything in eternity. Demas, he turned away from that. And he wasted his life. Now, look in your notes. How did Demas fail to make his mark as a fellow worker, a co-laborer of Paul? And here's what he did. He wasted his life by loving and pursuing what this world offered more than what Christ offered in his coming kingdom. He loved and therefore he pursued what the world offered more than what Christ offered. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to learn how to make your mark by not wasting your life loving and pursuing what this world ha- has to offer. And as I told you at the beginning, you know, it's kind of weird. And how do you do, you know, how do you do? Well, I thought we're going to, we're going to, I'm going to teach you how to waste your life. And then you just do the opposite. Okay. So here's how you waste your life. This are the three steps based on scripture. These are the three steps that Demas went through. And if you, if you follow this, you will end up wasting your life, living with regrets, and, and, and here's what we're going to see. If you follow these steps, you may be saved, but what you're going to leave as a legacy to those who love you is a big question mark over your life as to, was he really saved? Was she really saved? Because we're going to see that big question mark hangs over Demas's life because he didn't pursue what he said and professed. He pursued something different. So let's look at it. Are you ready? You, you, you want to waste your life loving and pursuing? Then here's the first thing you do. Forget that a great start does not guarantee a great finish. Just forget that. Forget that a great start does not guarantee a great finish. In other words, just assume, hey, because I started well, I've accepted Christ, I got involved in ministry, I started out reading my Bible, I started out loving the things of God, that will always be true of me. Just, just, just assume that a great start is going to lead to a great finish. Because that's what we get in Colossians 4 and Philemon 24. Demas' star- story begins as one of dedication. I mean, think about this guy. He's a fellow worker of the Apostle Paul. I mean, pretty much, and I, you know, I'm probably thinking about this wrong, but I mean, I would feel like I had, I had arrived, okay? The Apostle Paul looks at me and says, you're one of us, okay? It's just like getting on Notre Dame. I made the team. I'm a team member. I have arrived. But when you get that jersey that for, at that ceremony, it has just begun. Right, And if you don't follow through, and if you don't go to the practices, and you don't fulfill your position, and if you don't show up for the game, and if you don't leave it all on the field, you're not going to be on that team. And you definitely aren't going to be starting. Well, here's the same thing. This guy, is he's a fellow worker, and not he's not only a fellow worker, but the ultimate team member, Dr. Luke, he's right there with him. He's right up there with him. Wow. But Demas failed to persevere to the end like the others did. Now, think about the guys we've studied. Onesimus had a bad past that had to be forgiven and reconciled. Mark, he started out well. He failed, but he failed forward. Aristarchus was probably a guy from a very privileged life, and he had to forsake that in order to follow Christ. You see, Demas was just as dedicated just as committed as these men in the beginning, but he ended 
as a deserter. Now, you know what that means? That means no matter how dedicated you are here this morning, wake up. No matter how dedicated, how committed, and how much the beginning of your Christian life has meant, every one of us, every one of us is a potential Demas this morning. And you're almost guaranteed to be one if you forget and you assume that a great start guarantees a great finish. You see, a great start doesn't guarantee a great finish. We need to persevere in our faith to fulfill our ministry. You've got you've to persevere. You've got to work at it. You've got to last in it. Demas was with Paul when he penned these words to the Colossians. Turn your Bibles to Colossians 1, 22 through 23. See, this is what's amazing. And man, I'm telling you, this week, it, I, really, really, this, this study has kind of shaken me. It, it, it's, it's gotten a hold of me. Because you see, I, I, I've, I've, I've lived now longer than what I'm going to live. And I figured up on my salvation, I'm right at, assuming an average length of span, I'm right at the midpoint of my Christian life. Live longer physically, I'm at the midpoint, I'm at halftime, I'm in the locker room of my spiritual life getting my game speech for the last half. Now, you look at Colossians 1, 21 through 23. When Demas was a committed player on the team, he's in the room, probably, when Paul is pinning these words. And by the way, he's not pinning them. Someone's writing him for him. He is saying them under inspiration. Demas heard these things, just like you are hearing them. This morning, just like I have studied them this week. Listen to these words. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. In other words, he's taking care of your past and he's guaranteeing your future. This is the plan, if indeed, verse 23, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now, we don't know for sure that Demas failed to persevere in his faith for salvation. I mean, this passage is talking about True believers persevere in their faith to the end. We don't know if Demas forsook his faith in Christ and rejected Christ. We know he forsook Paul. And we know he forsook the work of God because he loved the present things of this world. But now I want you to turn to 1 John 5.4. Turn to 1 John 5.4. Turn your Bibles to 1 John 5.4. We've got to compare Scripture with Scripture. How big a deal is it? To forsake the work of God and the man of God for the love of the world. How important is it? Well, let's look at 1 John 5 4. 1 John 5 4 says this For everyone who has been born of God, that is, who is truly born again, does what? Overcomes what? The world. Overcomes the world. That doesn't mean. You run from the things of God in order to run to the world like Demas did. You overcome that temptation. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our what? Our faith. Our faith. Our faith. So in Demas forsaking and running because of a love for the world, what does that put in question? Puts in question his faith. Rather than overcoming the world, what is overcoming him? The world is overcoming him. It's drawn him away. It's taking him away. You see, unlike Mark, whose faith in Christ enabled him to fail forward, unlike Onesimus and Philemon, who were crossways, but whose faith in Christ enabled them to be reconciled to one another, unlike Luke, who was facing the same pressures and temptations and suffering and had the same fears and the same anxieties, but whose faith enabled him to remain with Paul to the end. Demas had a faith that was unable 
to overcome the world. He had a faith that ended up being disobedient. He had a great start and appears to have had a horrible finish because he didn't persevere in his faith in Christ and overcome the world and the things in it. So here's, my, here's the first point. Here's the application for this point. If you want to waste your life like Demas did, then forget that a great start does not guarantee a great finish. You will never, listen, listen, you will never fulfill the ministry God has for you apart from faith in the one who saved you and gave you that ministry in the first place. See, here's the problem. We think, okay, I got Jesus for salvation. He put me in ministry and now I can operate on my own power. You know, I mean, we don't say that, but we do it, right? You know, see, okay, I accept Christ. That's, I'll never forsake him. That's all right. Jesus, you're just there. You're in my back pocket whenever I need assurance for salvation. But now I'm going to go out in the, in, into my school. I'm going to go out with my friends. I'm going to go out in the workplace. And I'm just going to, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, my faith in you disappears. I just don't persevere. I back off. I hide. I run. Well, here's what you got to remember. And here's what I'm remembering. That 20 plus years in ministry and, I uh, forget how many, whatever, since 17. That doesn't guarantee me anything for the future. Now, I'm not saying my salvation's not secure. It's secure. But if it's secure, then I will persevere. And I've got work to do, and I've got to work at persevering. And I work at placing my faith in Christ keeping close to Him, not letting anything draw me away, and there's all sorts of things drawing me away. There is all, and, and here's what I found. The older I get, the more things there are to draw me away. And the most subtle of them all is, I've been doing this long enough that I can just get by. And you begin to look outward at others and say, well, look at that numbskull. Look at that spiritual zero. Look at that. Look at that. Look at that. I'm glad I'm not like them. And the reality is I may be worse because to whom much is given, much is required. So, First step to waste your life, forget that a great start doesn't guarantee a great finish. Now, here's number two. Here's the second way to waste your life like Demas did. Fail to stay focused on Christ and His coming kingdom. Fail to stay focused on Christ and His coming kingdom. Demas' story begins as one of dedication, but somewhere along the line, he became distracted. Note, here's what I want you to notice something. Um, It's interesting, there's a lot of sermons on Demas, as you can imagine. You know, know, there's all sorts of sermons. And typically, here's the outline for these sermons. And I've I've even read it in commentators who, who, who ought to know better. But here's typically what they say. You read about... Demas in Philemon, and he's called a fellow worker, right? And then you read about him in Colossians, and Paul doesn't say anything about him. You know, he says all those things in Colossians, and then he says, and also Demas. And then you read 2 Timothy 4, and it says, Demas has forsaken me. And the sermon goes something like this. He started out good, and then Paul, and then then he grew cold, and Paul noticed that, and he went from saying, Demas, my fellow worker, to Demas to Demas has forsaken me. Now, that preach is good, and that would be a great outline. The only problem with it is it's not true. And why is it not true? You should already know this. Why is that not true? The reason it's not true, when you think about it, when was Philemon and Colossians written? In prison, and when? At the same time. There, there is no, you know, it isn't, he wrote Colossians and said, or he wrote Philemon and said, hey, this, these guys are my fellow workers, put the pen down, and then started writing Colossians. And when he got to Demas, he just said, and Demas also. He's not saying, it's the same guy, it's the same place. So you got to, you know, we got to do our homework when we prepare our messages. There, there isn't a lapse of time between Colossians and Philemon. Preach is good, it's just not true. But the point is true. And what's the point? This stuff doesn't happen overnight. You don't go from being a fellow worker and in, in, in a split second you run away. So it doesn't happen overnight. The only problem is we don't know how it happened, how long it took, and whether it was even perceptible. 
or perceivable, something, I don't know, seen by others, okay? Somewhere along the way, we don't know exactly when, Demas went from being dedicated to Christ and his kingdom to being distracted by the world and running over temporary things. And here's the reality. We don't see that in other people. You say, see, this, this thing, this, this lesson today is about your heart. It's about your heart. And you know the reality is? The only one that can really know what's going on in your heart is you. And the Bible says even you don't know because the heart is deceptive and, 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 and very wicked. See, right now, we all look, you know, relatively dedicated. We're here, aren't we? I mean, what more does Christ want? Well, He wants a lot more, right? He wants a lot more. It's about the heart. It didn't happen overnight. We don't know how it happened. We don't know whether others saw it happening. What we do know is this. Two to three years later, He went from dedicated to a deserter. But we do know this. We know why it happened. 2 Timothy 4 Verse 10, we know why it happened. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. He forsook Christ and his kingdom for what was here and what was now. Now, again, let's go to 1 John. You've got you to study 1 John to understand Demas' life. Look at 1 John 15 through 16. So turn your Bibles, 1 John First uh, John two fifteen through sixteen, and let's look at this. Look at what it says. Because when he says, "In love with this present world," what's that mean? What does that mean? You know what some people think it means. And this is how funny Bible, you know, commentary commentators, and just how funny we are. Some people think it means he loved lost people, and he knew there was lost people in Thessalonica who needed saved, and so he said, "Paul, you know, you got it covered here in the dungeon." I'll go and go to Thessalonica. Well, that's not what Paul meant. And you say, well, how do you know that? Well, let's compare Scripture to Scripture. What does this present world mean? Look at 1 John 2, 15 through 16. Notice what it says. Do not love the world. Well, Demas is in love with this present world. John says, do not love the world. And he's not talking about lost people. He's not talking about unsaved people. He's he's talking about the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Another indication that Demas was in trouble spiritually. But notice what it is. Verse 16. For all that is in the world, and here's, here's what the world is. The desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. So let me give you a little lesson here on the things in the world. Let's look at the temptations in the world. I think I have them written for you. The first is the lust of the flesh. Circle that word flesh. Circle that word flesh. That's the desire to satisfy any and every craving. I want to do this, so I do it. It's what I want. It's what I do. Desires of the flesh. Second is the lust of the eyes. Circle eyes. Circle eyes. Sometimes the, 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 the things of the world are in us, and sometimes the things of the world are outside of us, and we look at it and we go, I not only want that, I need it, I'm going to get it. Yeah, but what does God say? It doesn't matter what God says. I want it, and I need it. Lust of the eyes. And then the pride of life. Circle that word pride. Pride of life. I have these desires in me. I have these things I see. And I go get them, and then I'm proud that I got them. That's the pride of life, the boasting. The boasting in what I have, the boasting in what I can do, the boasting in who I am. These three temptations are basically the temptations that you and I struggle with every day. Now, think about Think about what you are struggling with spiritually. Think about your, your temp, what, what's tempting you. What is tempting you in your life? It's going to be one of these three things. In fact, it's probably going to be a combination of these three things. It's going to be something in me that says, I want, I need. It's going to be something that you're looking at that you shouldn't be looking at, or it doesn't belong to you, but you're going to take it, whether that's someone else's spouse, whether that's someone else's possessions, whether that's someone else's accomplishments or credit at work. And then you're going to boast in it and say, look, I am significant and I am secure because I have done 
and pursued these things. Now, these temptations are the same temptations that Adam and Eve tripped over in the garden. Turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, 4 through 6. Is the world in a mess? How many of you think we're in more of a a mess after Tuesday? All right? I don't care what you did. We're in a mess. And the reason what you voted for or who you support, that doesn't matter. We're in a mess. And it's going to get worse. But the reason we're in this mess is not because of any political party or what vote you cast particularly. It's the vote that Adam and Eve cast thousands and thousands of years ago in the garden when they faced these same temptations. Look at Genesis 3, 4 through 6. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now look at verse 6. Here's the three temptations that the world presents. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, which one is that? Lust, lust of the eyes. And it was a, del- or no, lust of the flesh. It was good for food. Lust of the flesh. Oh, I'm hungry. Okay. But then he say, then look at the next one. And it was a delight to the eyes, lust of the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. What is that? Pride of life. Hey, I'm, I'm smarter than God. I, can, I, I know how to run my life. He said, don't do this, but I can do it. I can, I'm bigger than this temptation. She took its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Now, these three temptations, they tripped up Adam and Eve, and I put it down. They tripped up Demas, and they trip you and I up. And here's the good news this morning. Jesus triumphed over them in the wilderness. Now, you got to get this picture. Adam and Eve are in the garden. Perfect environment. And they still can't pull this off. They're in a perfect environment. And they have no indwelling sin. And they still can't resist it. Jesus, on the other hand, is in the wilderness. He's been starved. No, he's not starved. He hasn't been starved. He's fasted. He has not. He's gone without food for 40 days and 40 nights. This man's hungry. Now he's faced with the same three temptations. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. And we're not going to do a heavy study of this, but it's in verses 1 through 11. Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. Jesus goes into the wilderness. He's deprived of everything. He's in a needy position. He's physically, emotionally, relationally. He's at his weakest point, and the devil is now going to tempt him. And here's what happens. What does he throw at him? The same three temptations. He threw at Adam and Eve. The same three that he throws at you day in, day out. And look at what happened. The first one was the lust of the flesh to turn stones into bread. Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. One of the biggest understatements of the Bible. Duh, right? And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Now what you got to understand is those stones looked like loaves of bread. Their bread were these round, stone-like looking objects. Listen, after 40 days in the wilderness, in the heat, you're looking at it. You don't even need the devil. See, you got the lust of the flesh in there. That rock looks good enough to eat. Satan knew that. He's no dummy. So he says, if you're the son of God, and what he's really saying in the Greek, he's saying, since you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. You know what he was saying? Our purpose in life is not to satisfy every fleshly desire, even when we really have that desire. It's to do the revealed will of God in the Bible. Hey, we're not here to satisfy our desires. Well, that didn't work. So, verse 5, Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, Since you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For here's what, you know, since you're into the Bible, let me quote you a little Bible out of context. He will command his angels concerning you and on... Their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, oh, wait a minute, let me, which, which of the three temptations is that? 
Not lust of the eyes, what is it? Pride of life, pride of life. In other words, make a name for yourself. Here, I'm going to put you on the highest point, and you're going to commit public suicide, but it won't be suicide because you're claiming God is going to help me. God is going to deliver me. And boy, everybody will follow you, and they'll say, wow, that Jesus, look at what he did. But Jesus didn't come to make a name for himself. He made a name for his father. And, that, and you know how you make a name for him? You do things his way, and you put your faith in him. Look at what he says. Jesus said to him, again, it's written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Our purpose is not to live for the fame of his name, of our name, but for his name. Here's the last one. Again, verse 8, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. Now, what would that one be? Showed him lust of the, of the eyes, of the eyes. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him alone shall you serve. What's this series about? Fulfill your ministry. What's your calling? What's my calling? To worship him and serve him alone to the end of our lives. Our purpose is not to worship what we can see or what is temporary, the kingdoms of this world. Our purpose is to worship the one who is not seen and the one who is eternal. All right. Notice what the devil did. The devil left him. And behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Here's how John Piper puts this whole issue of of running after the world. Listen to these words. Young and old, culture-embracing Christians need to ponder this a long time. There is a love for the world, the present age, the God-ignoring, God-denying, God-demeaning, Christ-distorting products of culture that is mutually exclusive with real, deep love for Jesus. There's a love for this world that is irreconcilable with the ministry of exposing the world and witnessing to the world and rescuing from the world and, if possible, changing the world. Two loves. Two ways of living. Now, here's what Demas failed to do. Look at your notes. Demas failed to trust Christ to enable him to stay focused on the internal and not be distracted by the temporary. And not be distracted. Here's, we, we read 1 John 2, 15 through 17. Let's finish it. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the desires of flesh, the desires of the eyes and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. Now look at verse 17. The world is passing away along with its desires. But whosoever does the will of God abides forever. Temporary, eternal. What are you giving yourself to? Who are you? Who are you? Are you an eternal person who's saved? Now, think about this. What was in Thessalonica? See, we're not told what was in Thessalonica. But you know what it was? It was one of three things or a combination. It was the lust of the eyes, maybe a woman, or the lust of the flesh, maybe a woman or a relationship that he thought, you know what, I'd rather have that than suffer here with Paul. Maybe it was the lust of the eyes, a business deal, or property that he had left. And he's like, you know what, I think I'd rather have that property than to get my head cut off with Paul. Maybe it was the pride of life. Maybe it was home, comfort, less suffering. You know what I think it might have been? A ministry without martyrdom. We think he ran into sin, but you know what the sin could have been? I could be in this hole with Paul any minute. Or I could have a respectable life as a Christian Christ follower in Thessalonica, back home where things are safe and comfortable. Now, that hits closer to home, doesn't it? That hits closer to home. Stay focused on Christ. Here's what you need to do. Trust His Spirit and His Word to enable you to overcome the world. What did Jesus do? The Spirit led Him, and He quoted the Word. Listen, if you're going to finish well and not waste your life, then you've got to be Spirit-led and Word-fed every step of the way. And here's the third third way to waste your life. Follow after what the world has to offer instead of Christ. Follow after what the world has 
instead of Christ. Now, here's what you want to see. Demas left the things of God. Think through what he left. He left the worker of God. Demas has forsaken me. Well, that's not just any worker. That was Christ's sent apostle. I think it's figurative of leaving Christ. Because he was Christ's representative. He left the work of God. He was no longer a fellow worker. He left the will of God. Whoever does the will of God abides forever. The world is passing away. He left God's will for his life. And he ultimately left the way of God. If anyone loves the world, John said, the love of the Father is not in him. Listen to James 4.4. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now, was Demas saved? We don't know for sure. Bible doesn't say. We don't know for sure. And you know what I, I thought about this week? That's the saddest thing you could say about anybody. Think about this. You know, the last, the saddest thing that you could do is to live in a way, and, and it's true for me, to profess Christ and then pursue the things of the world. And when people go to your funeral, there's a big question mark over there. They professed, but they pursued something different. And you know what we Baptists do? We fall back on once saved, always saved. Well, they prayed a prayer. And yet, have you seen these scriptures I've read to you today? The love of the world is not of God, it's passing away. The love of the world, if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. Listen, listen, it doesn't matter what you did in the beginning. If, if you have the love of God in you, then it's going to enable you by faith to persevere in the things of God and not forsake what is eternal for what's temporary. You look at the criticism of Paul's words, you look at the contrast with Luke, and you put it into the context of Scripture. And by the way, 1 Timothy 4, we can't get into it, we will in a couple weeks. The context here is the Apostle Paul who says these words to Timothy, fulfill your ministry, the very words that he said to Archippus. And then he goes on and says, Timothy, you can do it by God's grace because I've done it. I've fought the good fight, I've finished my race, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, and not just for me, Timothy, but for everyone who loves his appearing. And then he says a few verses later, And Demas has forsaken me because of love for this present world. You know what he's saying, Timothy? Timothy, that could be you, and I don't want it to be you. Don't waste your life. Glenwood, new life. Don't waste your life. This can be you. So what, do you, what are you going to have to do to do that? Where your heart is, your life will eventually follow. Get this, a fascination with earthly things leads to forgetfulness of eternal things. I leave you with Colossians 3, 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ is who, who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory with no regrets, with rewards that last forever, and everything you sacrifice will have already been burnt up anyway, and it won't matter. Go for it. Go for it. Go for what Christ has. Here's what C.S. Lewis says. If you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were precisely those who thought the most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this world. And that's true of us, and it's true of our country, and that's why we're going down the path that we're going down. God in His sovereignty is going to take us through a nation to where we're deprived of our wealth, we're deprived of our status, we're going to be deprived of our security as a nation so that His people will remember to set their heart on things that are above. Now, I'm no prophet, but you can mark that down. 
that's where we're headed. And the reason is not because of our president or any political party. It's because you and I have too much Demas in us. And I'm pointing at me, but I'm also pointing at you. We have too much Demas in us. Amen? So what do we got to do? We got to remember that our great start doesn't care. Hey, and that goes for our country, folks. A great start by the U.S. does not guarantee a great finish. Just read your Bible. It means we got to stay focused, and it means we got to follow hard after the things of God. So let me ask you this one question. We end with this. What is your Thessalonica? Where is your heart? What is pulling you away this morning? Would you give it to God? Realizing that in Christ, whatever you sacrifice, you're going to get so much more from Him. Let's not be a Demas, amen? Let's be a Luke and finish faithful. Let's pray. Father, we come and uh, there's way too much Demas in me. And I just need to draw closer to you more than ever. I need to get nearer to you. I need to lead the way so that my daughter and my wife can clearly see what I am pursuing, why I'm pursuing it, and why it's worth their, their effort, their faith to follow hard after me as I follow hard after you. Lord, I pray that we would all see what Demas is in us, what our Thessalonica is, and that we would evaluate, Lord, by your Spirit and by this lesson, whether what we profess is what we're really pursuing. Lord, may we all leave a legacy when we die that clearly says, my loved one didn't just profess Christ, they pursued Him. And they pursued Him to the finish. And they weren't a deserter, a quitter. They weren't a lover of the world, they were lover of You. Lord, give us this love by Your grace in Jesus Christ. In His name we pray. And all God's people said... Amen. Amen.